Hello and welcome to the very first, no point included, podcast. Can Good you evening. Be- can you believe, Elaine, that in the five years that we've been doing no pun included, we've never actually done the no pun included podcast? I mean, I was a guest on um, Last Place Last podcast. Place, yeah. yeah, but that- <laughs> I couldn't even remember the name. <laughs> I know, right? But that that was that was not no pun included. This is this is the official no pun included That's podcast. True. I think it's a big deal. I'm very excited. I think people are going to be really excited to hear that this podcast is entirely dedicated to the Sonic the Hedgehog live-action movie trailer. Every episode, we're just going to be discussing that one trailer that landed today and how it's awful. I mean, that was cool. Like, I don't understand why people are so upset, right? Because Uh clearly, uh I remember once seeing a picture. Like, people are upset that he has two eyes, right? Mm -hmm, Instead of this mm -hmm. weird, like, homogenous thing in front of his face. But I remember seeing a picture once of him. Those are goggles, right? right? And and the goggles were off. And there were two eyes behind the goggles. So It's just a natural... Yeah, I don't know why they... Oh, no, they couldn't get um, Bob Hoskins to do Sonic because, unfortunately, he passed away, but they should... They Why Bob Hoskins? Because he was Mario. It would carry on the right. thing, right? I see, I see. That would that would have been something else. Yeah, yeah. wouldn't it? It's not a podcast about the Sonic the Hedgehog trailer. It's no. a podcast about board, board games. games. We, we're, we've got a lot of board games we're going to discuss on this episode. I'm very excited. Uh, first up, we'll uh, talk a little bit, very briefly, about my experience with Genties. Uh, then we'll talk about Tiny Towns, which is a lovely little game from AEG, from First Time Designer, I believe, as well. So I'm really excited about that. Uh, we've got some discussion on one of our favourite games, and a new version of one of our favourite games. It's Concordia Venus. And we're going to cap it all off with a doozy, it's Arkwright. Can you believe we're going to finally discuss Arkwright? I'm excited. <laughs> you've, you've finally played Arkwright for the first time, haven't you? Yeah, I did. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was it was a good game. Even though I was pretty tired because I was getting measles. <laughs> uh, measles alternative. But uh, yeah, I really liked it. Uh, I guess we should probably tell people why we decided to finally record a podcast and it's because Elaine has an alternative version of measles and we can't actually film a video. So because you are now officially going part-time... I am. I'm so excited Much about excite. that. Yeah, uh, We've got a lot more time to actually dedicate to these things and podcast is one of the things that we really wanted to do. Mm. And we're finally doing it. I, mm. I am so stoked. Let me tell you about Genties. Because I play Genties, and it's from the designer Stefan Riesthaus, mm-hmm. who has designed a number of games, but is predominantly known for Arkwright, which we're going to be discussing later in the episode. And boy, what a difference a game makes, because it is... So you, you played Arkwright, right? right? What, do you, what would you expect from Genties? What would you expect it to be? A smaller version of Arkwright? Right, okay. <laughs> no, I don't know. If, I don't know. It's nothing like Arkwright in that it's a Euro game and it's just a straight Euro game. And one of the things I think that excited me most about Arkwright is how it is a Euro game, but it really flips a lot of uh, Euro game conventions mm. on its head and, and just does so many different things. And 
We're not discussing Arkwright yet. No, I know, I know. <laughs> don't get too excited. So why is Gentis different? I don't even know what the theme is. Tell well, me about uh, it. Well, uh, the theme is pretty much Civilization. So if uh -huh. you ever play the Civilization video game or... Like Sid Meier's yeah, Civilization. Yeah, Sid Meier's, yeah. Or, or the one. That's sort of the theme, but, but only like the very early period. So you've got uh -huh. like, you know, the Bronze Age or whatever, right? Okay. And... I found Gentis to be incredibly dissatisfying. Oh no. Yeah, Why? I know. Uh, so here's the thing. I I think your games are moving towards like how how what do we do that's different? How do we stand out? You know, because there are so many of so there's so many more board games coming mm -hmm. out. There's a lot of competition, so I think people are always looking for the new like thing. Like the USB. Right? Yeah, yeah, like the USB. So the USB of Gentis is that it's a Euro game, but with cookie action selection. So the whole idea uh, of Gentis is that actions take time. Da, mm -hmm. da, da. Um, but so more powerful actions take more time and less powerful actions take less time. And you have a time track that you fill up. So a good action will put free time tokens down on the track. And when your track is full, that's when you have to stop your round, uh -huh. right? So y you can do better actions, but you'll be able to do less of them. Right. Here's the thing. You can borrow time from the future. Uh, and what uh -huh. that means is... Like an anachrony. Well, sort of, yeah. So what that effectively means is that whenever you do an action that, say, requires you to put free time tokens down, right? Uh -huh. You can put two of those time tokens into the same slot. So it only counts as if you put two time tokens down. Right. But one of them won't come off for the next round, so that means you have less time during the next round. And I thought when I read the rule book that that was interesting. And I feel like there's a but coming. Well, yeah, the I think the but is that it's it's uh it came off as gimmicky in the end. Oh no. And I I think that's the problem. I I felt like there was a there wasn't really any reason why that was important. Like there wasn't ever a, like a moment where, oh yeah, I have to do this action now or never, right? Mm -hmm. And be damned if I have less time next round. Like you, you just sort of keep. But is that necessarily a bad thing? I, it's not. But here's another thing. I, I found Gentis to be very abstracted for a oh. Euro game. It, it felt like. Um, the theme wasn't really coming through that much. So you have you're building a civilization, and mm -hmm. and and there's effectively a race going on for different actions. So there are cards that will let you uh, get new abilities, mm -hmm. but you have to pick up those cards. Then you have to do an entirely separate action to play those cards. And there's sort of a race uh, as to when you're going to get to a specific action slot because action slots have multiple spots, but if someone gets there first, they're going to spend less time or less money on it. Right. And if you get there later, you can still do the action, but you have to spend more time and more money. Right, because so, zero. Yeah, because yeah. so you're constantly racing against other players and trying to determine what they're going to do. But I effectively found that there's like three things you do in that game. And, um, and the ending wasn't very satisfying. The last round, I felt like there's six rounds. I felt in the last round like... I've already sort of done everything I wanted to do, and now there's just some points left for grabs. But so it didn't feel like it came to a like culmination of all the things that you'd been trying to do. No, it didn't. And I think you know I'll leave it at that because Gentis was fine. It was okay. If you're really interested in the very pretty pieces uh, that TMG 
did for the deluxified version, then sorry you can't get them anymore because it's a Kickstarter exclusive. And if you are not, then I don't think there's anything particularly remarkable about Genties. So let's move on and talk about a more exciting game. Tiny Towns is a really adorable game uh, where you have a little tiny 4x4 grid uh, and you're trying to build the best tiny town from the different elements that you've been presented with, like factories and wells and cottages. And you have to try and make the buildings work off each other to get the points. It's very similar to games like Suburbia and Between Two Cities, mm -hmm. uh, but it's a lot more cutthroat and a lot more simple than those games. Mm -hmm. I actually found uh, a lot of similarities if, you, if people have played Between Two Cities, like you have this array of buildings and they all have different scoring rules. And based on how many you have of each and how you combine them, that's how many points you're going to get. But the trick in Tiny Towns is that that 4x4 grid is tiny in so many ways. <laughs> um, you, what happens in that game is that each turn we uh, take turns calling out a resource. So I might say, brick. Oh. Well, we're clearly not insane. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm gonna say brick or wheat. And then everyone has to put down brick or wheat. Every single player has to put one down. And because you have only a four by four grid, there's only so little space to actually put those resources down, but you're not only just putting them down, you have to fill out certain combinations. You're like a Tetris puzzle. Yeah, exactly. Um. Very reminiscent. Like, most of them are even Tetris shapes, but yeah. like you fill out a Tetris shape, and that can turn into a building that will not only score you points at the end of the game, but also take off those resources off the board, but that's one square from your 4x4 gone either way. Yeah, so the trick is not blocking yourself off, but with building, so that you can't build those shapes. Do you remember when we played that first game? Uh -huh. And I was How like, could I oh, forget? <laughs> oh, 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 this is easy. This is fine. <laughs> and I'm like, somewhere a third through the game, I went, oh... I lost. <laughs> I yeah. legitimately knew that I lost. And so it, I really want to explain, I'm really excited about this, how I stuffed myself over. <laughs> um, so what happened was you have uh, cottages, which are things that are going to give you points as long as they are fed. Uh, and the way you feed cottages, so you build a cottage, you put your little cottage down on the grid and it stands there and it's nice, it's cute. And you're like, okay, this is nothing until I get a farm. And the farm is a, you have to put effectively a two by two square uh, of, of resources uh, on, the, on your little grid. And then it turns into a farm. And then I realized that the way I've placed the previous buildings, it's actually impossible <laughs> to, to, to put down a square anymore. I could do other shapes. It was fine. But squares were off the table and I was like okay so I have these all these cottages that do nothing taken down by your own hubris <laughs> I know and we were playing the easy version yeah we were do you want to tell people about the harder oh, version so, oh well so the easy version the difference between them is that you can set aside two resources so if you draw wheat for example if the other player says wheat uh, you can put that to one side if you really 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 don't want it put wheat down mm, somewhere mm. and you can do that twice um fk used both of his basically one after the other uh and then still yeah still managed to mess himself up there's also the variant like where you instead of and it is much harder where instead of calling it out calling out the resource each turn 
um, you just have a deck of cards and you flip over the top card. So rather than anyone being able to choose, you're just given a resource. Every third turn, you can choose whatever resource you want. I found that so devious. It was it was ridiculous. I thought this isn't going to be that hard because now Efka can't stuff me over with like whatever resource he wants to call out. But the game, yeah. Yeah, it, it, you have effectively almost no control over what you're getting yeah. anymore. I guess we were fortunate to play this as a two-player game because it goes all the way up to six. So imagine... Okay, you're calling out resources, but there's six of you. So mm. one in every six turns, you get what you want. And then other turns, you just have to go by the whims of everyone else. I, that's nuts. I can't imagine what that is like. I imagine quite frustrating. But, uh, okay. But there's I, w- only five resources. So yeah. in, in theory, hopefully someone will call out something you want anyway. I, I think we're making Tiny Towns sound frustrating. It isn't because it has <laughs> a lot of these charming moments. Like uh, at the start of the game, you get a choice of two special buildings and you'll only be able to build one of them but they're all really cool and you're like ah oh, i can tie my entire strategy around around just that one building and i found that to be delightful i found the entire game quite delightful the colors are really bright and vibrant and this this something I don't know, there's something about the theme of tiny towns that isn't in any way unique or standoutish but the way it's presented and the way it's done, it's just it's just cute. I mean, it is frustrating, kind of, but it, not in a bad way. Frustrating in the way, like, if you accidentally dyed your white shirt pink in the wash with some red socks and then you went to work and realised that everyone was going, I love your pink shirt. Yeah, it's like that. Like, it, the result of that frustration is exciting and, like, you you want to find the best combinations to build your best tiny town and hopefully feed your people. There's something about that analogy that makes me think that perhaps someone in, in our household has once died their shirt accidentally pink. And no, no, it was a reference to The Simpsons. Right, okay. As, as quite a lot of things are in this house. We didn't talk about the cards yet, Elaine. We did not. This, Tell us about the cards, Efka. Every time you sit down to play Tiny Towns, you will have different cards, different buildings that will score in different ways. And... I, because there's like seven or eight different types, you're effectively, every time you're playing, you're playing a different game with different mm-hmm. scoring rules and, and different buildings that interact And in different, different shapes. Ways. And Well, different shapes as well, yeah. Mm. So so the puzzle really changes up. And I think if you really like light games that are a little bit cutthroat, you might enjoy Tiny Towns. I will admit it was just a touch too light for me. So one of the things that bothered me as a person who's played Suburbia and Between Two Cities is it seemed very reminiscent of those games. Uh, But the scoring sometimes didn't quite have the heft of decision-making that I wanted to. And by scoring, I mean the the rules for how different buildings scored points and, and what they scored points for. But I think that's counterbalanced by how you don't really have always control of what you're building and you have to adapt. So if someone calls out glass and you don't need glass at all, you have to put it down somewhere and then you have to figure out, okay... What am I going to do with this glass? Yeah, what is that glass going to be? Because at the end of the game, every space that isn't a building is... A negative point. Yeah, and that's... It feels like... I don't know, I this this trope of Eurogames being all about efficiency and if that trope is true it's certainly 
really true in tiny towns. Because you feel this pressure, like, no, no space can be a resource, it all has to be buildings. Which is, of course, impossible, because there's always going to be at least one space that's, mm -hmm. just, mm -hmm. that's just a resource, because there's no building that's only, like, one, one resource. Square, yeah, right. one square. There's not uh, even, there's not the, the cats or the flower pots uh, yeah, exactly. that you can put down. Which you, which you managed on your very first game. That was, yeah. you ended yeah. the, the... Yeah, I think I like the game more than you just because I like puzzle games a lot more than you. I also appreciated how fast it was um, because you had time to think, but we were basically like, right, wheat, brick, glass, wheat. Yeah, it was pretty fast. It was a pretty fast game that we played. And I guess if someone really takes a long time to think about what resource they want, then it would slow down. But the excitement, I think, for me came in like, oh, he's just called out a resource. What am I going to do with it? Mm. Um, what can I do for the best? What am I going to accidentally block off if I put it in this square? Like, can I still build the thing I want to build? Is this How is this getting me points? Like, it was just a cool game overall. I really... I had a good time playing it. I had a good time. I don't think it's quite enough of a game for us to make a video about. For but, sure. But I really enjoyed it. And if you like your games light and cutthroat, yeah. And that's, puzzly. And puzzly. This, this is definitely the one. What's next? It's Concordia Venus. <laughs> a game that we have somehow never reviewed. How is it that we've never reviewed? Concordia, I don't know. Yeah, but let's talk about it's Concordia bonkers, right? Venus, which is the new version of Concordia. And to anyone who hasn't got Concordia, my word, go out right now, pause this podcast. I don't care <laughs> if we're losing viewership. Pause this podcast and treat yourself to a Concordia Venus, because that is the version to buy, for sure. I think someone really cool once put it Concordia in their top 10, but I can't remember who that was. I think it was even at number five? Was it? I think so. I it was us, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it was higher than Great Western Trail, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I believe yeah, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Mm, which makes it our highest rated Euro game. Yeah. Because all the other games were either not Euro games. Why are we doing this? Why are we trying to remember what we what? rated? Where? <laughs> We don't make top tens. We made no, one. No, this is why. Right? Yeah. yeah, this is. We made one. <laughs> One's enough. Let's move on. We'll update it in a few years' time. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, Concordia is amazing. We love it. And here's why Concordia Venus is is definitely the version to buy. So if you've never played Concordia, a very quick pitch: uh, you are playing on a map of somewhere in the Roman Empire, in 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 the vast ancient Roman Empire. So you might be playing in Germany, in Britain. You might be playing in Egypt, you might be playing in Greece or, or Spain or wherever, but you are playing on a territory. You have colonists, which are ships or men, and there are routes that are either ship routes or men, men routes. Route. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And, uh, and they go, go out and build, build houses on different cities. That will make you various resources. That will make you various resources. But the cool thing about Concordia is that Every action that you want to do is in your hand of cards. And uh, those actions, those cards also score your points at the end of the game. And once you put a card down, you can't get it back until you play a special Tribune card. But the later you play, the more reward you get from the Tribune card. And you can buy a whole bunch of new cards. And the cards you buy determine <laughs> how, what you're going to score points for. Whether you're going to score points for spreading out or just building a lot of buildings. or oh, It's I, cool because you can determine 
how you're going to win this game. Yeah. I, I really I, like that about and it. Every action is so tight. It feels <laughs> so precious. You're like, you're agonizing over over every single decision in this game. Like no other game think, I've ever played before. I think before. apart from Brass, this is the only game where about 50 times during the game, someone has gone, whose turn is it? Mm-hmm. It's no, it's mine. I'm sorry. It's mine. Yeah. Still again. Yeah. It's mine. Yeah. It's still me. Forty minutes later, it's still my turn. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's yeah. You're you're absolutely right. You you just puzzle over every single decision that you are making in that game. Just I guess just like it would have been in real life in the real Roman Empire. Do do I invade this country <laughs> or this country? I feel personally attacked. Because I know how long I take to make a decision in that game. Oh, no, it was all yeah. of us. Like, it was genuinely all of us. You know I've never won Concordia. I know. I, we, I still love it the We most. almost won when we played um, the, the team, team variant, which is, which is the main attraction of Concordia Venus, is that when you buy Concordia Venus, you not only get Concordia, but you also get Concordia Venus, which is the team play variant, but it also gives you an update on the rules of the main Concordia, and it gives you four maps. And here's the cool thing about Concordia. The, what, there's, there is an expansion called Concordia Salsa, which introduces two modules, Salt, which is a wild resource, which is, if you've played Concordia, a big deal, and then it introduces <laughs> the Forum, which is special abilities, that I didn't quite like because I felt like the special abilities are a little wonky. You get one at the start, you get to choose from two, and some of them are significantly That's, better yeah, than sure. others. For sure. uh, so as to those who are into Concordia, uh, so we just played a game with the forum cards and one of our friends who took that game away by a mile uh, got a starting card that said, once per turn, you can exchange any resource for salt. Uh, which, if you think about it, you, if you exchange a brick for salt, right, that's a jump from three coins to, like, seven coins. Because that's, mm. you know, you, you, if I salt, like it, yeah, go on. salt can be sold as silk, so if you sell mm. it as silk, that's seven, seven uh, coins for a resource. So that's four coins every turn, mm. whereas I got a card that says, hey, every time you build a building, it's cheaper. So mm. that's, like, a discount of a coin every you know couple of turns or so i it didn't feel at all comparable in terms of power level i want to stop talking about forum tiles i'd love to start talking about the team expansion to concordia because that is by far uh i think now my favorite way of playing concordia and i don't think that's going to be the same for everyone because i i know that so we played a four-player team game of concordia and two of us loved it and two of us didn't like it as much Mm. and the two people that didn't like it didn't like it for different reasons as well so i find that particularly interesting already um so here's here's what's weird about having team concordia it's because it's a team euro game and that just doesn't happen very often and i think the reason it doesn't happen very often is because Eurogamers are people who like control. They like and playing on their own boards. Yeah, they, right, they yeah. like playing on their own boards. <laughs> not having a lot of interaction. You're gonna get interaction in Concordia. It's just a game with interaction. But still, you you you've got choice over your decisions. So the way Team Concordia works is that anytime it's your turn, you pick one of the cards, just like in normal Concordia, put it down, and then you do that action. But also your partner, who is sitting opposite from you does that action as well. And of course, 
they might not want to do that action. And sometimes it's really important to, not sometimes, always, it's really important to observe what your partner does, what kind of resources they have, and what they might want to do. Because the, gr the great moments in Concordia Venus is when you play a card that is just right mm -hmm. for everybody mm -hmm. else. And of course, the rules suggest to not actually communicate about which cards you're going to play. Uh, we found that a little wonky because then you're just kind of sort of sitting in silence and not really discussing the game with your partner. And that's, that's not... I mean, that's a proper Euro. <laughs> yeah, that's a proper Euro, right? But that's, it didn't feel like in the spirit of the team game. And it, it, the rulebook does say you make up whatever communication rules you yeah. like. And I think naturally through the course of the game, I settled into a, it's okay to hint at what you might want a, uh, your partner to play, but it's not okay to say so, for example, you could say things like, I haven't got any resources right now, <laughs> which is immediately indicating to you that you shouldn't... Oh, play the architect. Yeah, exactly. And instead I should play the merchant. Yeah, yeah. Or, or something like that. Yeah, yeah I, and it's, it's this little hint, but it, it kind of signals to your partner, hey, look at my warehouse, look what I've got, look at what I can do. And I, the thing that I think really enjoyed the most was that Concordia Venus now introduces cards that lets mm. you do two different actions. Mm. So, for example, you could have the Mercator, which is the merchant, and the architect, architect on the same card. Yeah. And whenever you play that, you have to do one of the actions, but then your partner has to do the, the other. other action. Mm -hmm. And I, I found that to be like one of the most satisfying moments in the game when you play that card and it's just right for everyone. I, I really liked that, that you weren't just playing your own game, that you were playing someone else's game. And A, that meant that you got sort of twice as many turns mm. um, and that you weren't waiting for to take your turn. But it also, like, it felt really cool being able to influence what someone else was doing. And because you knew, when you knew what they wanted to do and you could do it for them, that was an amazing like feeling and it was helping you too like because you know the team points mm, um, mm. Oh, yeah i really i really like that do you know what uh, our friends didn't like they didn't like first the loss of control uh, i think that was a big moment for one of our players but i and i i think that's a very good point because um we were playing as a team mm. um i think we are both quite in tune with each other anyway mm. right and so even if we weren't outwardly saying, this is what I want you to do, we kind of knew, we, we'd know how each other plays games as well. And mm. like we kind of had an idea of what you might want to do. And even if it wasn't the best action, it was something close, right? Yeah. Um, and I think they struggled with that a bit. I think they did. Uh, also, one of the players, it was the second game of Concordia, so we didn't just force someone to play <laughs> Team Concordia without having ever played Concordia. It was the second game of Concordia, and even though they loved the first game of Concordia, they found the second game to be a little bit overwhelming because suddenly they didn't just have to make decisions for themselves. Mm. They had to make decisions for someone else as mm. well, and they felt a lot of responsibility in that and responsibility can be a negative feeling do you know mm -hmm. what i mean when you're playing mm -hmm. a game you're like suddenly i'm responsible for someone else's evening as well because sometimes how well you do in games might determine how you feel about I mean, tonight but, yeah maybe but you're not responsible for other people's happiness like like if someone is really disliking 
their evening just because they're not winning a game, then I don't think that's within spirit of oh, a gaming no, evening. I agree completely, but feelings are wonderful things. Sometimes you can't <laughs> control them. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, sometimes you start feeling feelings that you probably shouldn't be feeling, like responsibility for someone else's fun just because you're playing in a team. That's, I'm not saying that's a right feeling, but it happens. Yeah. And I think that's what they were feeling that night. And... and Again, can evoke that, and I think that's important to know. And it is important if one of the players is newer and less yeah. experienced, because they don't necessarily have a, a good idea of what is helpful to you. Mm, mm. Um, and it's they're not going to try and sabotage it. You, you're not you're not going to get this player that just does everything for themselves because they want the other person to get points too, because it's a, a joint points uh, at the end. Yeah, but they might accidentally not play the right thing because they don't quite understand but that's why concordia venus is such a great package because you get the base game of concordia mm -hmm. and you get the venus mm -hmm. expansion so you don't have to go into the team play mm -hmm. if you don't want to you can just play concordia until you're comfortable with it and then just jump into the big game and and i think it's really important to note if people are going and buying concordia and looking up concordia venus right now there are two versions of Concordia Venus. One is an expansion for those who already have the game that comes with only one map. And one is the base game of Concordia mm -hmm. with the Venus expansion together with two maps, which is four maps because they're double-sided. Talking of the maps, like when, when you said there's different maps, I was like, what's the, what's the point of that? They're basically all going to be the same, aren't they? And then we started playing and I was like, oh boy, they, they are not the same at all because... This map is totally different and I, I can't get to where I want to do because I'm in Greece and Greece is a dead end. But, <laughs> but like, I can get around, I can get to Britain on this map. Like, this yeah. is cool. And no one's gone there because it's so far away from mm. where you start. Like, it, like, it's a race to get to these, like, corners of, of mm. the, the world. Um, that was really, really cool and different. Yeah, I, I think every map has its own feeling and sense. And, and e even... Even the base game Concordia and Concordia Venus introduces a few new things, like the new god Mercurius, which uh, reward. I think that's a new god. I'm not mm -hmm. entirely certain. I think it's a new god that rewards you for having uh, two buildings in the same territory, although maybe that was in base game Concordia. But there's certainly a new card, which lets you play the card you've just played on the previous Mercuri turn. Uh, yeah, Mercurius. Yeah. yeah. I can't, um, remember, I can't remember if it's a new god, a new scoring god or not, but regardless... I enjoyed playing Concordia so much. I, yeah, I love it back, loved it back in the day, still love it. And with this team variant, I want to play Concordia forever and ever. Yeah, me too. I love how the, the cards are all like, have different names of the gods. And you're kind of going into one god strategy hard. Uh -huh. I really like that. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good game. And I think, I think we'll continue to play it. This podcast stuff is hard, Elaine. <laughs> it's really hard. Why, I, I, I don't know. I feel like... I haven't done it for a while and there's there's a bit of a lack of confidence still i feel like it's something we're gonna you know go into more and feel more comfortable doing it but i think confidence is the key you know what efka confidence on, is a preference of the virtual voyeur who's known as arkwright arkwright indeed arkwright i was i was so nervous to play this game because it was big and looked a bit scary but yeah Arkwright was just so so good it was I was kind of like 
wary of the theme because it was all a bit kind of iffy because you hired workers and then you fired them to put in machines instead and that felt a bit it's the industrial wrong. revolution you're in a, you're playing a cutthroat industrialist and actually i have quite a few things that i want to say about the theme uh-huh. but let's let's tell people what the game is yeah first go ahead. Yeah. yeah so in arc right you are playing sort of a euro game which is all about again efficiency and you have uh, factories that you buy into. There's four different types of factories because that's all the world ever needs. They just need <laughs> some clothes, some cutlery, some, some lamps. lamps. Is the lamps, lamps and and bread? Yeah, yeah. The the four things, the four genres of food and <laughs> utilities. The, the, it's like the pyramid of human needs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, you know. So you have factories and you can invest in those factories so they produce more. You can adjust the prices of your goods to create demand, which is a cool thing. So uh, you have basically an ability to produce a certain number of goods, but just because you produce them doesn't mean you will sell them. And based on how good your goods are, so if you have really good cutlery, you could set the price a little bit higher and you'll still outsell all your other opponents because when it comes to selling, there's only a certain amount of demand because for lamps. Because people want to buy your good lamps, man. Yeah. They, they want to buy my good lamps, but there's not enough people to sell the lamps <laughs> to. And actually, what's funny is the more the more you employ people, the more there's demand for lamps because the more there's like money to go around and buy those lamps. But that balancing act between having like a really high quality mm-hmm. lamp and selling it for the right price is just... It's just so good in the game. I know. I one one of the most appealing things about Arkwright to me is that, especially in a four player game, mm-hmm. is that everything you do depends so much on what the other players do. Mm-hmm. So you have to constantly watch what they're producing, how good that good is, how uh, what the price is, and wh- that determines what you're actually going to be able to sell and how much money you will make off of it. And you don't start with all of the factories either. You start with two. And one of the key decisions in the game is, do I open up another factory? Do I upgrade a factory? Or do I just, you know, stick to making cheap and cheery stuff? And that's interesting. But you have to upgrade your factories eventually because they become obsolete. But do you know what is the main selling point of the game for me? Would you tell people about the scoring mechanism? And one of the most important decisions you have to make Right at the very start of the game. Oh, you are talking about the shares in this game. This this is so cool. Like, you start off with a bunch of shares, like 15. Uh-huh. And they're worth, like, £10 each. But you have to sell off some of these shares so that you can actually afford to buy your factories in the first place. Because you have no money. Because you have no money. Because you're just starting out in your in your bread business or your lamp business. So you have to sell these shares. But then the shares, hopefully, as you play through, they will go up in value. But then you feel like, oh, I need to buy them back because like, I need to, to have more... Because shares are points, effectively, yeah, yeah, yeah. at the end of the game. Uh, and But then you can't afford to buy the shares back because your business has done so well that your shares have rocketed in price. Or maybe you sold off too much, but you or sold them you off so- at a crap yeah, right, price. Because right. the, the whole idea is that the value of your shares is going to go up, right? right? So how much do you sell? And, and the number of strategies that creates because you're not only selling to the domestic market, you can also ship away 
And if you ship away, there's a whole other strategy tied to it in the game where you're deliberately tanking the price of your mm -hmm. shares. Mm -hmm. So, but you're making a lot more money. And then you can buy the shares back at a cheaper price. That's... And then bump the value. And then bump the value oh, up. It's, it's but, so But as, as our friend found out, you can only buy a certain amount of shares in total. So the shares are capped at 30. Mm -hmm. You cannot have more shares than that. So if you've kept selling to the foreign market uh, and put the price of your shares down, then you're, even if you've got 30 shares, they're still not going to be worth that much at the end of the game and you're still not going to necessarily win. What I loved about that is that uh, when they were selling to the foreign market and uh, they, they had factories but their factories were never in competition with our factories because they weren't selling to the domestic market. Mm. So we could still, still sell all our products. So we never considered them a competitor until suddenly... They Until suddenly had it, they were. They yeah. were, because they had enough of selling <laughs> to the foreign market. They wanted to up the value of their shares. And they're like, selling a lot of products all of a sudden that we didn't have competition with before and suddenly we do and we have to adjust everything and that <laughs> changes the tenor of the game so much and the tension you do have some idea of like you have some control of when you're gonna take your turn in turn order though yeah and that that also determines so much and it was always the person who decided turn order was always the one with, with the lowest value shares I with think? the lowest value of oh, equity oh, oh, right yeah, yeah. right yeah. Ah, this game, Elaine. <laughs> this game. I. Do you know what? I feel like I can keep talking and talking about the cool elements. We didn't even cover like the myriad of abilities that you can get. So one of the one of the major things in the game is automation. And so each of your factories have to have workers, and you have to pay them salaries. And those salaries are really, really cutting into your profits. But <laughs> you can replace them with workers. Uh, machine, gonna... Sorry, machine workers, right? Yeah. Which only cost are... you a pound yeah. <laughs> to, to run. But but all the people that you've replaced are becoming... On the bread line, uh, On the bread line, yeah. And... I was shocked and surprised at how readily I sold off my people for machines, yeah. honestly. Well, can I tell you a story about yeah, my first game do. of Arkwright? So um, I took... I had almost an allergic reaction to the theme in Arkwright. And not just the theme itself, but but how it was incorporated into the gameplay. And I was like, okay, I understand that on the whole, automation is a good thing because it introduced many things in this world that we take for granted and enjoy in our daily lives. But at the time, these were real people and they, you know, mm. like they lost their jobs and livelihoods and... It was a bad thing for them. And I thought that I would prove that that I can be a conscientious factory manager. Did it work? No. <laughs> I came third out of fourth. but And I felt like I played a very good game uh -huh. considering the limitations I imposed upon myself. Uh, the limitations being I'm not going to automate, mm -hmm. which is not entirely true. There was one time... I was forced to automate because if I wouldn't automate, I would have lost the game. Wow. Okay. And 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 that that meant like okay, but if I lose the game, that means all my business is shut down and everyone loses their uh -huh. jobs. So like by automating, I'm doing the lesser of two evils. Anyway, I automated. How did that feel? I, it felt oh, it, it it was not pleasant. It was <laughs> it was a feeling. 
mm. of of particular ickiness, I mm. would say. But so I okay, I took it. I took a distaste to the theme of the game because I felt like, well, okay, I understand that automation overall probably to the world was maybe a good thing, you know, and but I still wanted I still wanted to find a route of being like, you know, a conscientious. Yeah, like a morally good person mm. in this game. And I realized that it was impossible by design and and that really upset me. I felt like, well, why mm. isn't there this option? Mm. But now having played the game more, I'm not like I'm what I think I've come to realize is that it is designed like that for a reason. It's making a statement that people mm. did that because they had to. Yeah. You know? That's what you found, that you had to yeah. have at least one machine because otherwise the alternative was for your your factory to go out of business entirely. Yeah. So you were trying to do the best thing. And I think that's probably the toss-up that a lot of factory owners actually faced, the ones that actually cared about their employees. And, you know, there's been a lot of talk about Eurogames telling stories these days and I've seen some I've seen some wonky examples of that I love because I'm constantly reminded of Tybo the Builder right. which is which is a little Alexander Fister card game uh, which is a prequel and people can't see me doing air quotes right now because we're on a podcast but I am doing air quotes because the notion of, of that game being a prequel to something is ludicrous because so okay it's a prequel to a game called Oh My Goods and then the expansions had like introduced a story, but the story was a little bit of nothing. And Tybo the Builder also had story, again doing air quotes, uh, but the story was like, this is Tybo, he is a builder. He lives in the city, he builds buildings. And I think like, I'm, I'm, I don't remember it quite exactly, but it was something like that. There was, there was some text on a card. I mean, it sounds like a thrilling story. Right, yeah, right? But here's the thing. I've never felt a Euro game tell a story as much as Arkwright did. And really? I, yeah, I, I think it does. And it doesn't do it with any text on the cards. But there is, there's, there's, there's a history lesson in that game that I felt was being told. And you're playing a really cutthroat, a really long game. Like, okay, we're making Arkwright sound really good. And it is really mm. good. But I think people should be aware. I think we spent like six hours playing oh, that boy, game. Oh yeah. Something like that. that it was, was a, a four-player game. game and we had dinner in between. So we were playing comfortable on a leisurely Sunday afternoon, you know. Uh, but but it is a long game and it do, is a complicated game. But you do go word. through like 50 years or something yeah. in the game. So Yeah. But you know what? Even its complexity, right, I can forgive because... So much of it feels intuitive because I remember mm. you were you were quite intimidated by Ark, by Arkwright and I said to you, look, don't worry, it is a complicated game. Mm. But one of the great things about it is that all the rules reinforce something that feels familiar from the real world. You know, if you imagine running a factory, these are the sort of decisions you would be making. It's just that these decisions have a mechanical framework within the game. Mm right mm. and that makes sense and it feels intuitive and and yeah there's there's a big rule book and there's a lot to learn but i didn't mind like i didn't feel confused by engaging with mm. that game if that makes sense mm. yeah for sure everything just kind of made sense like you do this because of this and then that leads on to this and yeah that 
Does that make sense? Yeah, it yeah. is. There's a causality, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I really like Heart Cry. I, I think it's a great game. I, I'm not sure we're going to cover it on video because it's a game from 2014. So it's it's five years old mm -hmm. by now. Mm. But but maybe we should because I, I I really feel like Arkwright is special in some ways. And I, like, I appreciate learning about British history, actually, mm. via a board game. Because, because I know that Britain did some bad things in the past. Um, so <laughs> like it's always it's always tricky when britain features in a board game a historical board game i'm like oh no what's gonna happen now but um yeah that was really interesting to learn about yeah um, and i uh, really felt like i learned something and I, I that's i think that's when the games games are at its best board yeah. games are at its best when they actually teach you something by immersing you yeah into being that simulating that experience and you're like oh okay i get it and mm. i i feel this real world connection to it that's weird right yeah it's mm. really weird is that it i think that's it that's i think that might be it. yeah i i want to mention a couple of things before we wrap up mm. so first of all uh uk games expo that's right around the corner i know i need to <laughs> getting myself together for that yeah we're doing a bunch of stuff at expo this year around so we have our own show do you want to tell people about our own show that we're yeah, doing sure. yeah uh, so we're doing another uh, you're doing i'm doing yeah, yeah. sorry i'm doing a victorian parlor game show uh which is the european leg of this tour because uh, we did it at shucks uh -huh. in canada last year uh for the first time and then it's going to be repeated with slightly different games uh, this year at and UK slightly Games different guests. and was well, yeah slightly yeah. different guests we're also on the this game is broken podcast which we we've been on before but we are now going to be on it live i'm really excited to be on it it's very silly uh if you're not familiar with this game is broken it's a it's a panel show board game podcast that about sums it up i think mm -hmm. that's all you need mm -hmm. to know going in mm -hmm. Uh, there are a lot of puns in that podcast. I'm oh not, no! I'm not sure. Like when we when we were on it, I fully embraced myself and just went embrace pun, the puns. Embrace the puns. I yeah. went pun heavy. Okay. I I ignored our okay. name entirely okay. and just went <laughs> whatever puns. We uh, love them. We are also doing Nightmare Live. I know Nightmare, <laughs> which is a British institution, right? I think so. Yeah. When I found out that we've been invited to do Nightmare Live, there's two Nightmare Live shows, and I can't exactly remember which one it is. Look it up on the UK Games Expo website because we're on one of them, not the other. Um, you want to make sure you get the right one. Yeah, yeah. The one that we're not on. When I heard that we've been invited to do Nightmare. That was a thing that I I picked the right moment to tell Elaine because I knew how excited you would be. I knew how excited you would be. I mean, I was be. cool about it, you know. No, you weren't. <laughs> <laughs> you were like, what? <laughs> I'm doing Nightmare. I love that show. Yeah. You, um, I think you literally said, this is what my life has been leading up to. Did I? <laughs> yeah, I think you used those words. <laughs> can you can yeah. you tell to our American audience uh, who are listening, who are not familiar uh -huh. with Nightmare, what in the world is Nightmare? <laughs> Nightmare is like an RPG, but in like real life. So there was, uh, I think there was uh, three people or four people, and one person had to go into the like this kind of eighties 
CGI dungeon. This was a TV show in the was, 90s. I'm sorry, yeah, yeah like yeah, 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 it was a TV show. Oh, in the 80s and 90s. In the I think, 80s, yeah. wow, okay. Uh, and um, they, so yeah, one person was wearing this helmet, so they couldn't see what was around them, and the other people were like in the real room, mm. and they were having to tell this person where to go and what to do. But it was always just hilarious because they would say like sidestep to your left, and then they would sidestep to their right and fall down a massive hole or get eaten by a spider or just have this like serious issue with a really easy puzzle or something and it was just brilliant and so i'm really looking forward to it the version we're doing at expo we're going to be the people telling other people what to do uh-huh. and the other people are going to be the audience which uh-huh. i found immensely interesting it's so, cool isn't it yeah isn't yeah that a cool way to do it mm, mm, i'm i'm looking forward to that uh that's that's free things is that the free things we're doing i think think that's the free things we're doing i think so uh we're also uh, a couple of people who backed our kickstarter to play games Mm -hmm. with us are going to be playing games with us i'm I'm very excited about that and looking forward to expo it's been a year as it always has and i am looking forward to the games and to the breakfast at the hilton because if you've not had breakfast at the hilton you have it's something not else. lived life. They have cake. And I mean, come on. Yeah, they have various different cakes. And yeah, d- don't eat the don't eat the fruit and the waffles. fruit salad though. <laughs> oh yeah, that was rancid last <laughs> yeah. time, wasn't it? Yeah, it was pretty bad. Yeah, uh, but that was cool. That was cool. Also, we're going to Birmingham. Yeah. Yeah. We're. I That's mean, where brass is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> brass is from. Yeah. Except we're not really. We're just going to be at the Birmingham airport, which is yeah, the ADC. Know, There's nothing there. Still. There's like a Nando's. Well, I did go into the town once to buy an emergency mer- microphone. No, I and so I that. did see some of the sights of the, the city. I also did want to say to people who are listening, uh, we'd love to have a questions and answers section, but since this is the first one that we are doing, there are no questions. So, folks, please send in your <laughs> questions to fka at nopointincluded.com. Very simple, fka at nopointincluded.com. And, and we'll read them out. And we'll answer them to the best of our ability. Mm-hmm. Probably going to suck at it, but it's well, fine. Don't say that. Don't tell them that. This is our first podcast. Don't tell them they're going to suck. It's all right. going to be great. I'm, I'm setting the expectations low. <laughs> right, okay. So that when we give this amazing answer, that they're just going to blow people's minds. I, I heard a thing today uh, that said, if you found you, you set your bar too high... Just limbo under it. Okay. Just... I, I, I think it's time for us to limber, limbo, limbo, <laughs> limbo. Limbo cheese. Limbo under this podcast mm-hmm. and put a stop to it. Mm-hmm. If you've been listening, thank you very, very much. This has been episode one of the No Pun Included podcast. Elaine, won't you say goodbye? Goodbye, Elaine. Goodbye, Elaine.